Chao. What do you want? It's a podcast to you. Gotta talk about Giallo movies just for you. The only thing I'd like, I'd really like, is to meet you face to face. It'll happen sooner or later, but you don't have to recognize us. Thanks. However, you disappoint me, duck. You throw a challenge my way. I almost forgot the most important part. We go by Creep, Creeperson, and Chris. And this is Chow Chow Chow. Got it. The harbor, a phone booth sitting right near Pier 11. I'll get out the APB. Move, you bastard. Ciao, ciao, everybody, and welcome to episode 58 of Jello Chow Chow, the all Jello show, where we talk about Jello and slasher stuff in this episode. I am Creep. I have been gone for some time, but I am back now. Yay! Oh, wait, I'm looking for my sound effects. Wait a minute. Oh shit! Here it comes. I wasn't on. I wasn't on the. Uh, I wasn't on the ball, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, there we go. Creep is back. Hooray! Hey. And this is Chris from Hellowscore.com. Hi. Hi, everybody. And with us for the second week in the row, or second episode in the row, first time with me on the row, whatever the fuck that means, <laughs> is Jason. But I Hello. can't help but call him Wolfie. This is Jason here, hoping that this is coming through decently. <laughs> you are coming through. I've got a little lag on my end. <laughs> no, listen, we don't need to know about that. If you just rub it long enough, it'll grow. <laughs> <laughs> That's much better comeback than I thought of. Thank you. <laughs> so, I moved, and now I'm here. So now, those... I thought you moved into a house, so why are you outside right now? <laughs> because inside my house, my family decided they were going to cook while they were on Skype with friends. And it is loud. So, ah. and, and, but, you, but you still have enough bandwidth to do the show. That's pretty cool. That's Isn't impressive. it weird? Because, um, the last place we had, it was like 158 megs or something. And here we only have 60 
Yeah. But for some reason, the internet's better here than it was there. Uh, the reason is that all those numbers are absolute bullshit. Awesome. Good to know. <laughs> I went from... I'd say the reason is... Uh, oh. <laughs> I was gonna, I was going to say, I went from like 25 megabits to 150, and things slowed down. So, I mean, it's all nonsense, all the crap that they... They just want you to pay more. That's all. Nice. It has to do with the company, too, sometimes. I mean, if you're stuck with Verizon, you're pretty much, well, stuck with Verizon or Comcast. <laughs> yep. Well, out here, Verizon just got bought out, I guess, by a company called Frontier. And their uh, service is shit, apparently. Really? So, yeah. But anyhow. Kind of what I've heard, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Moving. Well, I don't know if you guys knew that, but um, moving's fucking terrible. Yep, I've been there. Cool. I've I've had to I've had to try and sell and buy a house at the same time. So I'm sure that you went through the same thing. And we had when we did it, we had a um, five month old. <laughs> So it was no fun, but we are here, and uh, hopefully we're not going anywhere. Clear. <laughs> All right. And so I what, am pouring a beer. Yay! So right. what's new, everybody? Let's do the what's new bit. What's new is that I've got this delicious um, pineapple sculpin IPA, and I'm pouring it into my Ragnaros the Fire Lord. Beer glass. Ragnaros the Fire Lord from World of Warcraft. Um, wow. But it is a ballast point pineapple sculpin, and it is absolutely delicious. So cheers, everybody. It really tastes like pineapple. Mm -hmm. It has just the right amount of pineapple uh, in, the, um, in the nose, as we say which is, uh, for, for you pedestrians, it is the way it smells. Ah. And uh, also the finish is got some pineapple, very detectable pineapple at the end. But um, it's IPA for the rest of the way through, and it's very, very good. Nice. I'm drinking my five-shot venti iced Americano with four pumps of vanilla. Just to chill me out a little bit. Wow. And it's delicious. I love iced coffee. Ah. Uh, I'm Jason, one of those people who uh, doesn't do much. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have that much to drink on hand at the moment. I've got water and maybe some ginger ale behind me if I reached for nice. it. But... Uh, <laughs> I suppose I have a bottle of hard cider in the fridge, but I use that for cooking mostly. There you go. Smooth, smooth. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hold in my hand a box of the Le Carte de Gioco, the uh, Jalo playing cards. Here's the deck. It is a sealed deck. The box itself was not sealed. But the cards inside were sealed. Um, and we have three of these that we're going to be giving away. It comes with... And I haven't seen the cards yet because I bought a pack for myself and I still haven't opened them. Um, 
and so I don't even know like how awesome the artwork is, but I know that it's supposed to be very awesome. It comes with a um, certificate um, that uh, talks about um, how it was made and the numbered, because it's a limited edition of 410. Put this up on the uh, on the screen there. Nice. So um, it's real official, it's real authentic, and very very cool. And we're going to get one of these away um, to every every week. Oh. Um, the proceeds go to, I believe, an autism foundation. Um, so that's a really great cause. What? How much were the cards? What is the MSRP? I think, if I'm not mistaken, they were possibly somewhere between twenty and twenty-five bucks each. Wow, something like that. But not cheap. Fourteen euros, yeah, something like that. And then yeah. shipping, of course. Yeah, I think that was part of the the high ticket was the shipping, but it was worth it. I mean, like I said, it was all for charity, hundred percent. So nice. Very so good we'll, we'll be discussing um, the way in which you, the listener, uh, whether it be via podcast listening or via this live Google Hangouts listening, can uh, win this pack of cards uh, later on in the show. Um, we're going to be improvising, that's for sure. I can tell you that. And why wouldn't we? Because we do that with everything else on this show. Yeah. But I, I think it will uh, be an interesting project for anybody who's interested in these cards. So, that's uh, that. I will say, if anyone wants to see a little bit of the art, uh, the Baron shows his off in episode 10 of uh, The Giallo Room. So, if you oh, cool. watch that, you can see a little bit of what it looks like. Great. I think I saw, like, a screen grab of that or something. They, they look really cool. I think that it looks like they have the old posters on most of the cards. Yeah, I, th I, think, so. Like I think so as well. Jokers, of course, being a little different. Well, right on. So, anything else going on? Uh, Not too much. I wanted to let everybody know, uh, for those people that are in the Philadelphia area... Um, or even in the New York, uh, you know, tri-state area of the East Coast, this is probably worth your time. Uh, on Sunday, July 31st at noon, starting at noon, at the International House in Philadelphia, which is uh, right in University City, it's going to be a um, frightening features from Italy's greatest directors, Argento, Bava, Fulci, Lenzi, and Martino. So, starting at noon, they're going to show Suspiria. After that, it's going to be Umberto Lenzi's Eyeball. Nice. Dun, 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 dun. Oh. Followed, followed by Fulci's The Black Cat, uh, Mario Bava's Barren Blood, and Sergio Martino's Torso. So, mm. it looks like it's going to be... Uh, you know, starting at noon, let's see, one, two, three, four, five films. Um, you know, it'll be a good all-day thing. I will probably 
if 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 I'm I'm really really gonna try hard to make it to this because I want to see eyeball on the big screen. I really do. Yeah. Do you I know anything about the prints? Are they no, like... not a clue? Like I didn't even know that there was a print of eyeball. Like the version that I've been watching when I watch it is a really crappy washed out VHS copy. I think. Oh my god! Can you imagine what that's gonna look like if it's like fucking? Nice fucking film and shit, dude. Yeah, I mean it says it's listed oh. as a thirty-five millimeter print, so it's fucking. Be pretty well, awesome. That's when we get uh, Chris here to kidnap the guys and ransom them back for them put, giving that to somebody to do a transfer. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I guess I would think that that there's if there's enough interest in that film, they would have put it on by now. And did How a transfer. dare you guys? <laughs> there is more than enough interest for that film. Well, no, I mean, I, I'm not saying it. I'd like to see it again. I like, I like to see it. I, I think that, I think that that film, we all kind of know what it is and what it isn't. You know, we know that it's trashy and silly, and we know that, in given the right um, environment and the right mood and mindset, it, it's probably a good film. Um, what detracts from it for me is partly the quality of the print that's around. So, um, But again, I need to, uh, I need to lighten up and, and watch it again. But I think if the, if the film is ever going to redeem itself, for me, it's going to be redeemed on, on this screening. So um, I will probably go and see Suspiria. Now. I'll probably see Suspiria, and I'll probably stay for Eyeball. I don't, I don't know if I'll watch The Black Cat or any of the other ones, but those first two will have be. You seen, have you seen Torso on the big screen? I have in New York with uh, with Brian yeah. uh, for the second um, of the two um, festivals that were in the Jallo festivals in uh, in in uh, Greenwich Village area of New York City. Oh, awesome! Yeah. <clears throat> um, I wanted to ask um, Jason. He made a he did a post about this uh, book that he got that was um, a bunch of writers doing Jalo-esque stories. Short stories and novellas, yes. Jalo Um, Like any anthology, it's a little up and down. It depends on your taste. But there were some really good ones in there, I thought. And there weren't any in there that were really rough. The one thing I will say is that all of the pieces in it are giallo with some sort of twist on it in addition to that. For example, there's, I believe it was called something like The Strange Case of Mrs. Montgomery Ward, which was about a alternate future where the strange vice of Mrs. Ward taking place in a world where robots are, have replaced everybody and humans are these feral animals out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty crazy. And there was a, That was an interesting one because it was probably the truest to, one, to a giallo film of any of these. <laughs> the others all take... They try to go with the style of Jolly, not necessarily sticking to a particular movie and working from that. But a lot of them are pretty solid, I think. Some yeah. are written from the killer's perspective, some from victims, whatever. Some from investigators, of course. 
Yeah, I'm going to have to pick that up. That looked really, really interesting for cool. sure. Plus, I think it's on the Kindle Unlimited program, so I could be wrong about it. Holy shit. If that's on KU, dude, I'm in. I'm in, like, Flynn. <laughs> um, and then um, just a little update on my stuff. Since I am now here and things are a little more calm and slowed down a bit, um, I'm going to be doing the next Shallow Jallow book, and the first two I'm actually going to put out in paperback. So um, awesome. those have only been ebooks, and um, so hopefully I could get that done before the next show. So when we're done with the card giveaways, we could do some giveaways of that stuff too. That'd be pretty cool. You know, Creep, awesome. if you're looking for somebody for paper publishing, I know a couple of guys who run some small press stuff, and they do not ask to take the rights to anything, so you could might be interested in talking to them. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. That'd be awesome. I will shoot you an email address at some time, or shoot them yours, or whichever, maybe both. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Send that to me for real, man. Yeah. When did... Um the process of sending email becomes synonymous with the word shoot. It's been a long time since people have been saying shoot you an email. I just wonder where it started. Very interesting. I'll shoot you a message. Let me see. I'll shoot you a phone call. No, it never happened. I'll shoot you a postcard. Maybe it is <laughs> just an email thing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I never even thought about it before. That makes that's a good point. Probably from the fact that it was so much faster than any of those other methods. Yeah. And you can just whip one out quick and send it out without having to labor over it. I think which, so. of course, has caused a problem in the big workplace. <laughs> yeah. The biggest problem that I have in the workplace with email is that all of a sudden um, you see how ungrammatically correct people are and how bad they are at writing. Oh my gosh, yeah. dude. Check this out. This is just a horrible fucking story. So there's a magazine that everybody knows. That, um, I won't say what it is, but I met one of the owners of this magazine, and he was talking to me about writing for the magazine, and he's like, yeah, send me an email, and blah, 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 we'll talk. So I sent him an email. It was like really long that had all my qualifications and all this shit. And then he sends me back one. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm really excited. Give me a call next week. And then I start going through the email I sent him. Holy shit, dude. I don't know what the fuck happened, but this one sentence decided to get all fucking autocorrect spell check or something. Oh, no. Like, I wanted to know. Oh. And it was just like all of these words that weren't <laughs> words. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm trying to get a writing game with this fucking magazine. And... <laughs> I sent him that fucking email. I was mortified. That happened today. I was like fucking out of my gourd, man. <laughs> That's terrible. At least you didn't say, I want to be a Ritter in your email to a publisher. <laughs> will you pay me to be a Ritter? Yes. Is that, will you... Is that, Hello, person who is an editor and a publisher... I am going to send you an email so that they'll look at my book, and I am not going to bother to spell check or grammar check anything, and I am going to be surprised when you mention this. 
So how is your book coming? Uh, slow, like most of them. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not gonna necessarily call myself Thomas Harris or Stephen King, but it's similar. <laughs> uh, I think it was uh, Harris said that Stephen King can write a novel in a weekend, and for him, it's pulling teeth to get six words out. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and. Where that sits on the quality scale, well, there was Hannibal Rising. So, <clears throat> <laughs> anyways. Uh, and then just so everybody yeah. knows, if um, you would like, if you're watching this live and you would like to converse with us while we are chatting, um, please use the Q&A button thingy. Actually, Jason, you've done that before, so how do you do it? Uh, well, first off, you actually have the apps available, which I do not... Ah, uh, there it is. Over on the... I believe it's on the left-hand side of the screen, though this might just be in here. You move your mouse over there, it pops over a Q&A, and you click on that. Alternately, there is a block with, like, nine little squares and a grid up to the upper right-hand side of your screen, and you click on that, and it gives you options like comment or Q&A or something to that effect. Wow. So you can click on one of those options. Right on. I think that's what it was from the viewer standpoint. That's awesome. Yeah, I've never actually figured out how that worked. We've always talked about and I keep trying to do that. Yeah, I keep forgetting every time I'm. It's like I figure it out to use it that time. I close it down. I forget. <laughs> figure it out all again next time. <laughs> One of these days, I'll actually remember something. <laughs> I'm the same way. <clears throat> I have to call GoDaddy every time I change something on a website, and they. The mm -hmm. last time I called, I have a lot of domains um, and a lot of hosting and all this other shit. And the last time I called, the guy was like a total dick. And, and they've always been nice to me. And this guy's like, I see that you have like a ton of sites. Like, don't you know how to do this already? And I'm like, bro, I call you every time. <laughs> I always forget how to do it. <clears throat> so anyway, tonight we are doing The Washing Machine and My Bloody Valentine. And this was Jason's idea, and it was a good idea. Yeah. For sure. So, we are going to start with the washing machine. Does anyone want to take the reins of a little synopsis and plot observation? I certainly well, don't. If nobody, I could, but you guys have it. Go ahead. You actually have notes. <laughs> All right. Well, I will give you a brief rundown. <clears throat> Some chick who's really smoking hot, but has kind of a big forehead. 
but the bangs work for her when she has her wig on. She's pissed off at her boyfriend, Yuri, and she runs away and gets into her house, and then he somehow manages to start doing the bone thug with her up against the fridge. This causes Vita, um, Vita's sister, who I believe her name is what? Is it Sissy? Is she Sissy? This is Ludmilla. Ludmilla oh, is, is, is... Yeah, Ludmilla is the uh, middle sister. Is she the crazy one? They're all crazy. <clears throat> okay, spoiler. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, <laughs> anyway, so some sister's sitting on the stairs, spreads her legs, and starts ringing a triangle. Because really big triangle. Yeah. yeah. Like, come and get it, dinner has been served. Triangle. So they're in some big fight after the sex. She's, uh, Vita stops it in mid-thrust and says, get the fuck out of here, you shit. <laughs> so he leaves, and then later that night, Nutbag comes back into the kitchen for some reason <laughs> and notices blood coming out of her washing machine, and when she opens it up, fucking Yuri is dead in the washing machine. He sure is. Oh my gosh, and this just starts a roller coaster of events. <clears throat> the cops show up, and... As you would think it would happen, there's no body in the fucking washing machine, not even... <laughs> nothing's making sense. And then there's all these sisters. There's three sisters. One of the sisters is, like, kind of banging this blind girl, I believe, or something. Yep. Um, so yeah. there's all sorts of sexiness going on there. Um, and then the rest of the movie is this cop... <clears throat> who looks so familiar, but I went through his IMDb shit, and I couldn't fucking find anything that I've ever seen him in. But um, he tries meticulously to try to find out something, I'm not even sure, because I don't think there's a case if there's no body, but for some reason he's on the case, and being on the case means getting raped by sisters, and... Um, trying to have sex with a girl in a museum full of blind people quietly and <laughs> getting Caesar salad smashed on your junk. So um, there, there was definitely some great moments in this movie, and then that's kind of what went on. So what did you guys well, get I, Look, I mean, first of all, the first thing that I want to bring up is that when you play in an orchestra... Okay? And you play the triangle. It's really a small triangle. Okay? The triangle that this woman had in the movie was the one that they use For on dinner. the ranch. Yeah, yeah, on the ranch to get everybody in because the ribs are ready. I don't Maybe know where this thing goes. Maybe that's why she had her legs spread. I don't know. She was digging uh, the girl to let everybody know it's, it's chow time. Yeah. Well, we need to let everybody know that this movie was uh, directed by Ruggiero Diodato, the infamous, uh, the director of the infamous Cannibal Holocaust. That is his claim to fame. Uh, and the film is from 1993, and it looks like 1993. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but I felt like I was watching um, a cross between Argento's opera and... Um, some of the Lamberto Bava 90s films like Demons. Um, 
I like the look of this one a lot better than that. Uh, which uh, you liked it better than which? The opera or? Well, well, demons and even like um, bizarre or um, stage fright. Like this was like just early '90s enough to not be like fucked up by the '80s, but still old enough to where you could tell it was the early '90s. But it was really like. It had a really interesting color palette. I mean, clearly it was dark blue and yeah. and browns and blacks and charcoals everywhere. And it was drab and it was kind of um I don't I don't know what the right word is to describe the color palette as far as emotionally, but um it was It was it almost was like the color palette was so fucked up to draw your attention to the characters and not really look at the Things going on, like when you were, whenever you were in their house, it was always so dark and drab. Yeah, that it would just draw your eye to the characters. And when you were at his apartment, it was the same way. At the police station, that was completely different. Yeah, but I think that was kind of like a, like this is the only place where he's pure. But that's kind of bullshit. I'm just making that shit up there. Yeah, but, well, um, you know, it's possible that somebody thought of that. But I, you know, oh, I, I had into what you can take out of this in a few little bit. But <laughs> I, I had I had a little bit of trouble um, understanding or figuring out which locations were which because we had the house that the sisters lived in, and then we had uh, Alexander's apartment. But we also had at one point Yuri Yuri's house, and I think Yuri's house was full of just like. It was like ransacked, and it was like a whole bunch of crap. And the, I think that was, was that the, the deal. It got ransacked because I'm like, why does no one put their fucking drawers in a fucking dresser? Like, why is everyone's drawers just like stacked on top of each other? I don't know. Was 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 Yuri's place? Was that the location of when? Um, let's see. Who were we talking about? The cop uh, found the Germans. Where? That was where Vita jumped. Uh, Alexander on the staircase. Right, with the, that's what I was gonna say. She handcuffs him to the staircase yeah. and then and then rape humps him. That was super hot. It was it was crazy. <laughs> she is amazing, and I can't believe that we saw so little of her assets. Yeah, I mean, her boobs were just were were so hard to ignore in this film. It was just like they were just everywhere. She I like the hooker. I thought all three of the girls were were actually even the fourth girl, the blind blonde girl. I thought they were all hot in their own way. Totally, they all had their own weird little thing going for them. Yeah, the only the only one that I didn't like was his girlfriend, Irina. Uh, Irina. Dude, how happy were you when? You well, you don't have to worry about her too long. <laughs> but did she actually kill herself, or did she just storm out? I don't know. She, I, there was a gunshot. There right? was a gunshot. But it also sounded like the door. Slammed. I think that I took it as uh, she killed herself because you don't see her for the rest of the film. Right, but there's no body for him to deal with, and he just well. Just on stood, the other he hand, just stood in the shower and, and you know sprayed himself with the yeah. hand sprayer. Well, I I will. Um, I do want to point out, uh, for the folks who may not have seen this film, because it's not the most available giallo out there, this is all taking place in Budapest in the early 90s. Yeah. So it's not in Italy. It's a different, a bit of a different uh, environment than usual since we have a 
post-Soviet Eastern Europe here. That so explains maybe the, the bodies. Yes. Yeah, it does explain the hat, and it also explains the uh, hot spring full of naked old people. Yep. But yeah, something needs to be it at any rate. <laughs> something. Somebody. Uh, but actually, <laughs> uh, one of the things that I do like about this film in cinematography is the sense of decay that you get through the whole thing. Because the very first shot in this movie isn't so much on Vita's legs as it is on the uh, <laughs> the Cathedral of Bird Poop is all I can think of it as. Because it's a, this huge domed area with these windows the yeah. glass windows all busted out through it. So and then, it's like and there's a couple uh, of really good there's a couple of really good shots of that. I think it it looked as if they had some kind of interesting lens where they panned like all the way across from one end to the other of that cathedral. I don't know if it was a fisheye or mm -hmm. some some other kind of weird lens, but it was really cool. Very cool place to to make a film. I thought. And I think that that uh, the attitude of everything falling apart in the area and the muted color palette and everything else, um, I think helps to get at the sense of the movie that everything is kind of like the fifth chord where you get this feeling that things are broken. If you have that same type of feeling here going on. Yeah. Can you guys hear the dogs howling? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Yes, actually, we can. It works pretty well in the background. That's the really cool. Coming, so the dogs are all pissed off. <laughs> ah. <clears throat> I hated the opening credits. That just like static shot of like the ceiling of something. Yeah. That was awful. Yeah, they they did that a lot. I mean, especially when you had to have. I've noticed that a lot of these international films where they have to do four or five different versions of the opening credits depending on what language it's in. Oh, but they yeah. just they just take a picture and they make a still out of it and they play the music and it's just kind of lame. Well, um, what do you think of well, EVS Entertainment? I'm sorry, what did I think of EVS Entertainment? Was that the uh, was that the that helicopter. opening that opening CGI <laughs> shot in the beginning? I don't know if that's on every print of that, but I guess it was from whatever DVD came out. Yeah, that was that was weird, man. That was really weird. Oh, I don't remember that offhand, but it's been a bit. <laughs> yeah, it's right. It's it's the very beginning of the of the video file. It's like the company that okay. put the movie out or something. I don't know. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck am I watching? Um, well, one of the. You point out the static shot at the beginning, and actually I almost wonder if this film was meant as a uh, cable film originally, because you, oh. there's a lot of the stuff in here. The, the feeling I kept getting while we were watching was um, late-night HBO, Skinamax type <clears> of... Uh, it was very Cinemax, dude. Shallow. Totally. And it would... I mean, if you think about it, with what happened to the Italian film industry, it would make sense that around 90 or so when this was filmed, you would try to make a movie for that market 
But then in 92, when Basic Instinct hits, oh, hey, we can release this to theaters, and it's a, we can, it's sort of a Basic Instinct thing. Because I kept, it was like Cinemax meets Basic Instinct meets Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Right. Like he's Goldilocks it's, and the Three Bears. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, there's Vita, she plays a little rough, there's Ludmilla, she's a tease, and Maria's just right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really. Vita is awesome, and her fucking eyelash extensions in that first scene, (laughs) shitballs, dude. Those things were... I did not like her wig as much as you did, though. (laughs) It's not that I liked the wig a lot, it's just that... She didn't really know what to do with her hair when she didn't have the wig mm. on. Yeah. Okay. A little bit. Well, actually, the reason I brought up Goldilocks with this at all was because the first... This is going to... You are going to not believe where my brain was going when I was watching this, but uh, when Alexander first shows up trying to find uh, the body in the washing machine that isn't there... Um, I mean, I've heard of losing a sock, but usually there's not a foot in it at the time. <laughs> but uh, when he's there meeting them, and Vita's talking about, uh, there's the lines like "my father, our father," and I kept, <laughs> I was almost wondering if this is going to be a Jalo adaptation of Cinderella at first, <laughs> and it's. This would be the strangest Cinderella adaptation ever, but I'd be up for it. <laughs> for real. And it kind of fits, too, with Vita being a stripper and the other two being musicians. It, I mean, there's something to be... Well, that's the other thing that's really weird, because, like, she's a stripper, she's a club owner, she's a prostitute, she teaches people how to dance with sticks and ribbons, and it's like... That actually... <clears throat> That was a old Soviet thing, I believe, but it's it, it's something done more in the East. But well, I know that Japan has it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but it's just like that girl has more jobs than fucking. She does, but she's the one who brought in the stereo, the refrigerator, and the washing machine. So <laughs> that's how she did it. Yeah. Um, the other thing too is that um, she. Train derailed. Go ahead. Lost my point. Okay. <laughs> did you guys um, um, Did you guys notice um, the cameo by the director at one point? Um, yes, I think I did. it was the scene where um, the middle sister comes and starts banging the symbols in the hallway of Alexander's apartment. Uh, yeah. And, and that's Nathan, why he was investigating this case, by the way, because she was stalking him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That, oh, dude, that scene where she was fucking ironing while she was drunk. Yeah. That uh, little bit. <clears throat> that was seriously, like, one of the, like, coolest, like... You know that there's scenes people put in stuff, and you're like, why did they do that? That didn't add anything. Those little scenes of her added so much. Well, she actually makes it reference is. to her hand being still, you know, mm-hmm. hurt, like, later on in the film. Or yeah. something like that. Like, you know my hands and it sets yeah, up the iron, which yeah. comes into play twice later on. <laughs> yep. Um, so good. That part was really fun. Um, 
the the whole bit in the museum with Maria. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you guys think about that? Because I thought he kind of gave in a little too easy with her. Do you think he was just tired of trying to stop getting raped? Well, you know, saying no has worked so well for him so far. At least here she seemed to be giving him the chance instead of just forcing it. Uh, but, well, um, I, I think that Maria really represents, like, the, the sister that everybody really wants. Like, Yuri wanted her and couldn't have her. And, um, you know, so basically you've got the freaky, wacky, uh, drunk girl in the middle. And you have the super-duper slut who's at the, the one end. But I think Maria is, like, the innocent one to a certain extent. And I think that Alexander really kind of... At one point, um, the older sister... Uh, her name is Vida. Yeah. yeah. At one point, yep. Vida says, "Don't fall in love with her. It's very easy to fall in love with her." So, I don't know if, mm-hmm. you know, if this was just something that it was was bound to happen. Um, I love the scene in the middle where um, he shows up and um, Ludmilla makes him some herbal tea, and they start talking oh, about all, all the things that were happening. It could have happened, and. <laughs> um, there's just a few there's a few funny lines in the film that are really like laugh out loud funny like at one point um, Maria is talking about how the cat ate something and, and and Alexander is like the cat ate what? like he's like what are you crazy? what, what do you mean? and Yuri's she's like body. Yuri's body what do you think? and then there's another scene where <laughs> Maria calls uh, the ins- the inspector on the phone, and he goes, "What do you What do you want now? Did you find somebody in your dishwasher?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that shit was so funny. <laughs> but I his girlfriend's love- best response, which was uh, the part where it's his washing machine starting to leak, and it's a, not every washing machine has a body in it, Alexander. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the problem is what's in there is arguably worse. Right, exactly. So, <clears throat> let me ask you guys a couple questions here, because there were some things I was a little sketchy on. So, okay. the his girlfriend doesn't want him to have a lover, and he's like, I don't have a lover. I have three, and they're driving me crazy, and all this other shit. And then she's yeah. like, no, and he's like, I keep all these secrets from you. And then he, like, opens up some, like, secret room. Yeah. In the version opens I was up the back of his closet. Yeah, I couldn't see what they were looking at. What was it? It was just a bunch of S&M stuff. Bondage gear. Oh, get the fuck out of here. So for no reason, all of a sudden now, he's like totally a yeah, pervert. That whole scene, none, uh, of that, none of that made any sense. Like it, it just had no real real relevance to anything that was going on. I guess so, it was just well, they, were, they were trying to establish his his character or trying to like make him a little bit more complex and, and let people know that you know there was another side to him and he wasn't just this good cop that was trying to solve crimes or something. I don't know. So then when because the other part I had with the version I watched is that the sound was really bad and that, like oh, I wow, can really? barely hear it at points. But um so at the end or towards the end or whatever 
Uh, Maria is trying to blackmail him for the suitcase that Yuri had. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. And then he just like says, well, why don't you just come with me? And she's like, okay, whatever. And that's well, how that worked out, yeah? That's how it worked out, but I don't think she was the one trying to blackmail him. I think that she went there going to warn him that they were... that. Basically, she was there to do the big reveal, the big Bond villain reveal of what the plan is. Right. Okay, and at that point, did he know Yuri was alive? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. I, I think he strongly suspected it because at this point, he had the suitcase at his place hidden as bait to draw Yuri out, and that's why they were blackmailing him to get the suitcase back. Okay. Because they said that the suitcase that they found was from... Uh, they'd gotten the suitcase... Really, the, the story is convoluted as heck and makes no sense until you know what's all's going on and you try to lay it out. And even then, it's a little sketchy. But I think that what happened is, the Thursday before all this happened, they busted this heroin dealer who was also trying to smuggle jewels and money for Yuri. So when they busted the heroin dealer, they got the suitcase, and the sisters and Yuri came up with this plan to claim that Yuri had been chopped up and stuffed in the washing machine, but then disappeared to so that they could get in the position to get the incriminating photos of what was happening between Alexander and the sisters so that they could blackmail him for the suitcase to get it back. Dude, that is such a huge plan. That if, like, <laughs> what if he was just like, yeah, I'm not interested? Like, their well, whole on the other hand, he, he already tried that with the first two sisters. See how well it worked. Yeah. Kind of if he, I mean, sure, if he falls for Maria, it works, it works out. But Vita, they had photos of that, and they had photos of... Uh, Ludmilla, and it looked bad, even though it was technically not what it looked like at all. By the way, Creep, thank you for calling out that that first scene was a rape scene, because I was thinking that same thing. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I think after a while he was kind of into it, but it's like Disclosure with Michael Douglas and Demi Moore. Yeah, he was not into it at first. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. I mean, my question always is, okay, if we flip who's doing this, does it become bad? And in this case, yes. <laughs> Very yes. So did, did he actually did sleep with the middle sister? No, but she, I don't did, think he, she did no, throw but, a salad at his crotch. So, But then he pulled her panties out of the dryer, and, right? Correct. So his girlfriend went Well, because she used those to clean up the ranch. Ugh. <laughs> used to mop up the dressings. I bet she did. His ranch dressing was all over her panties. That's going to look bad. <laughs> oh, that's so gross. Do you guys think um, that Maria um, wanted to go off with Alexander? I feel as if that. I think she did. I think she did. Yeah. Yeah, well, with how the movie ultimately ends, ends, I think so. 
because uh, which I keep forgetting what the heck was the blind girl's name? At any rate, whatever it was, it was very mean to the blind girl. Yeah, I mean, not only is she cheating on her with Alexander just feet away, she's having conversations with him on the phone right in front of her, and she can't even watch. Right. Oh, awful. Poor girl. Um, so then the blind girl is the one that tells Yuri what's going on. And about so, the betrayal plan, yeah. Yeah. So this is another because thing about this movie is that our main character is killed off screen. And I really get annoyed by that when that happens. Well, what, what annoys me about it is that that would be a twist and a shock of a surprise if the DVD and half the movie posters didn't show him very clearly cut up in the washing machine. Yeah. That this really, is worse really than that sucks. Cat of Nine Tails cover you were talking about, because that yeah. just shows somebody falling. Yeah. You you watch the movie, it's like, okay, this guy's going to fall down an elevator. You don't know that it's the killer. This yeah. one, you know that the hero is ending up in the washing machine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but the, I guess the thing is, when you see the poster for washing machine, you see a corpse in a washing machine, and you know nothing about the film itself and the characters and the plot. And then I think for most people, like I remember seeing um, the picture of Alexander in the washing machine all, all cut, cut up. I remember seeing that picture a bunch of times. But um, it didn't really resonate or, or it didn't connect with me as, a, as meaningful um, until until, after I, until, it, until it showed yeah. up, until it happened again. And I... That's true. You know, and, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Now I remember seeing him. You know. The best one of these ever. Do you guys remember the original poster for Jeepers Creepers? No. Where the creeper guy, is, his eyes looking through skin that's sewn up. And that's yeah. like the last shot of the whole mm -hmm. movie. Yeah. I think so. That was done well like that. Because I had completely yeah, because that was even a thing until I saw that. I'm like, oh, my God, that's the fucking poster. But this was not okay. No, and no. even then, you can't tell whose face it is he's looking through. Exactly. With this, you can see Alexander's face very clearly. <laughs> right. But to be fair, like it took me like a half a second. I'm like, wait a second, was that? Is that? And then I just see like eyes that look like a husky, and I'm like, oh shit, I guess that's the guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he has he has very bright blue eyes. And then that yeah. whole like photo, that was probably the most awkward bit of the whole fucking movie. Like they're like, "Okay, let's take a picture, family photo." Family <laughs> photo. Yeah, and then they yeah. moved out of the way so that he'd be in you know, he'd be in the picture. That was the most Well, you know, at least they were saying he's part of the family. Yeah. That was, I, mean, that I suppose was... he's been inside all of the family except Yuri, as far as we know. And the blind really different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, this guy got action like nobody's business in this movie, dude. He did, and look what happened to him. Yeah. Doesn't pay. That's what they say. Well, well anyway, on the other but hand, I mean, that does get into it. Go ahead. So, no, then, no, so then she kills the dude with the fucking iron, and then mm -hmm. all the sisters are okay with it all of a sudden. Like, yeah, that's because... Really cool. 
because they, you know, it, as much as I think, because as much as that ending was weird and out of left field, you know, all of the slasher stuff that had happened up to that point basically dictated that they needed another thing to happen. I don't think they could have ended with them just taking the picture and it being like, okay, we're all this one big happy family and Yuri is the alpha male in charge. I think that um, what they had established through this movie was that the sisters really were in charge of everything. And so they weren't going to let Yuri just, you know, take over. They were going to kill him off and keep the money and everything else, I think. Well, so, and also, it, it, I think it, um, this is going to sound weird, but I think that that almost redeems Vita. Because if you look at it through this, we learned through this movie that Ludmilla had a husband who died. They probably killed him. If not Ludmilla, then the other two probably helped. Um, Maria falls in love with Alexander, and he gets killed. And so at this point, Maria gave up the guy she loves for the benefit of her sisters and Yuri though technically she didn't choose this, but she was willing to betray him up to a certain point. Right. And then they kill him and take her, him away from her expressly to teach her a lesson, as uh, Yuri makes very clear. So really, her killing Yuri and... I mean, Vita gets to join the screwed-up Widow of the Month Club along with the other sisters now. <laughs> yeah. And then so, the other thing that was weird about that was that the blind girl had her, like, was holding the arm of the crazy chick, and I didn't even know that anyone else in the family liked the crazy, or the blind chick. Well, so, apparently she spends quite a lot of time there, so... Yeah, it just, it made it feel like the whole thing was a setup. Like, every single aspect of everything. Yeah. Possibly, but I'm not. I'm not sure if Yuri was going to be set up, or at the very least, I'm not sure that Maria was the one who one who was going to kill him up until the it was a payback for him killing her book man. Yeah. And also uh, the second of the characters in here who get so little play, but you gotta wonder about and really in a multiple ways gets very little play, but um, Alexander's second, his assistant, that guy is... He's my favorite character of the whole movie. Yeah, he is. He's terrifying. I was watching this, I... What? Go ahead. What creep? I just said he's okay. terrifying. I, mm, <laughs> I saw him and I kept thinking that he... It's like, you look like the bastard child of... Andy Kaufman and the guy who played Bel Balky. <laughs> huh? Yeah. Who are you? <laughs> but uh, and uh, but I mean he. You almost think that he's got it all figured out from the very beginning, and he's just not bothering to tell anybody because he assumes they already know. <laughs> well, and then the thing is, like, that he went to. Alexander's place to look for the um, suitcase. And then somebody strangled him. I mean, we were supposed to assume it's Yuri, I guess. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But why did he go to the cop's house to get the 
case, did he think the cop was in on it? Yeah, I think that his... I think that he continued to be more and more suspicious of Alexander and his motives. Yeah. Okay, I think I blocked out for a moment there. What was that that you... Just rough rundown? He, he was um, getting more suspicious of Alexander? Yeah, yeah I think that he suspected okay. that, that Alexander was getting corrupted by these girls and, oh, yeah. you know, following is, the case. He, he would have been perfectly willing to go along with it if Alexander... <laughs> let him in at the point where he confronted him, I think. Right. Because as we find out in the end, it looks like his primary goal was after that, okay, I know he's up to something. He might not be in it with the sisters, but I'm going to get mine. <laughs> yeah. And so he ends up busting into Alexander's uh, closet of pleasure and finds the suitcase there, too. <laughs> yeah. I like the scene where um, Alexander told him that uh, he was supposed to knock before he comes in, then yeah. makes him go back out and knock before he comes. You know, that was and funny. He tells him like you're supposed to go upstairs to the superiors. Why are you coming here to tell me yeah. I'm doing something wrong? Yeah, right. And exactly. that's what that's why I think he would have been willing to be in on it too. But For sure. That, and like, I mentioned crazy class. sister, and I'll be cool. <laughs> I think he would have taken any of them, but yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, I mentioned last time that I thought this movie had at least three different ways you could read it beyond just the sleazy, trashy giallo, and that actually comes into one of them, because I think that Diodato put this in Budapest very intentionally, because... Early on, you've got Stachev making comments... Sorry, Alexander Stachev is his character's last name and what I was thinking of him all the way through. Um, he's right. occasionally griping to his girlfriend about the... I mean, people used to respect us. People used to respect our authority. I mean, what the heck are we doing now? I'm looking for phantom bodies and washing machines. Um... I can't arrest this woman just because she's stalking me. She hasn't committed a crime. <laughs> These sort of things. And right. he keeps talking about political change isn't always for the better. And, heck, when he comes in, his girlfriend is reading a book by a pre-industrial social philosopher. <laughs> I had to look up who that was. But right. <laughs> uh, yeah, And I think that Diodato was trying to say something about how the change from, from a communist country under the Soviet system to a capitalist one didn't really change anything. The same people were running the show and screwing everybody over all the, at the same time because Vita mentioned that their father had been... Uh, what's the word again? But basically, it, he was one of the high-ranking managers under the Soviet system, so he was basically nobility there. And now that the Soviet system has collapsed, it looks rough for them, but really they've got this nightclub they're owning, they're 
running the show, they're running the game, they're the ones with the jewels and money at the end, and ultimately the same people who were screwing everybody over are still screwing everybody over, it's just under a new show. Right, yeah. Uh, um. Wow. Usually, it's creep who manages to get everybody oh. else to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> um, I had a question for you guys, though. Um, I am not familiar with a lot of the Policiotescos, and so yeah, neither I was, am I. I was wondering, and maybe someone listening can answer this, but is when you classify um, a Jalo that has a cop as the main protagonist, is it when we see more of his home life and get to know his wife or girlfriend and get her involved in everything? Is that when it isn't a Policio Tesco anymore and it's more of a Jallo? Because the only ones that I have any real recollection of in this is this and um, Black Belly of the Tarantula. And then both well, of the... Go ahead. Um, I, you said once, if it could be an episode of Murder, She Wrote, it can be a Jalo. Yeah. And I think my way of looking at it is if it could be an episode of Law and Order, it's a Policiotesco. Policiotesco. <laughs> Whatever it is. So does it have to have the whole courtroom drama with it, too? I don't, no? I don't think it needs the courtroom drama, but it needs to be covering, like, the... Even without the courtroom drama, I think the bloodstained butterfly would have qualified because so much of the time was spent looking at the cops and what they did for their job. Yeah. Even if you met their families and stuff, you're still putting a lot of focus on, I mean, the procedure that the police are using, as opposed to on their. He was a cop, but you could have swapped him. You could have said he was a chicken farmer, and it wouldn't have made that big a difference. Yeah. <laughs> Except for the fact that he would have wouldn't have had a partner, and he would have had a lot more eggs around. But uh, right I think, on. I don't know. I mean, like for me, I think that when you talk about Policio Tesco, you're talking about um, a, a de-emphasis on the mystery aspect of everything. I think that um, it's a lot more about the procedural yeah. procedure and the, the way that the police figure out how to catch the criminal. And we don't really care so much that it's a, it's not really a surprise when things eventually get figured out. I think it's more about um, it, it's more about basically what, what what the um, what what the cops are able to to just get to the point of and, and basically come up with some sort of a resolution and, and there's some action um, and there's some chases and there's some gunshot gunfighting and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is more of a giallo because there's definitely a mystery going on here. It reminded me a little bit of Strange Color of Your Body's Tears because um, you couldn't really figure out from, I mean, you kind of could, but there was a lot of like, you know, is this all in his head, or um, how much of this is he hallucinating, or, you know... What was the score? What was that, Craig? What did it get on the score? 
The score, good question. The score, uh, it got a 59, the washing machine. Well, I'm surprised Ooh. it was that high. Yeah, and it, it only really got that high because um, there were, there were well, I mean, look, um, it's an Italian director. The person who was doing the killing we don't know who it is until really the end. And there was a scene <clears throat> with some black gloves, so I gave it some big big upfront mm -hmm. points. Um, but the motivation, I think I may have to rescore that. I mean, the motivation by who? Like, who was... Yeah. Um, the motivation was money for everything, right? I kind of think so. Except that when they, well, when they kill Yuri, then that seems... I read that as revenge. I see yeah. it as revenge, but I also see it as not having to share the club with him. There's that, too. Yeah, and, and you know, we had um, three or more body count. We had a flashback revelation. We had whoa, 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 more whoa, than whoa. one killer. We Talk had, about uh, the three and one, more than three body count, because I only count... Th uh, three, or three or more. So you got um, Yuri, who dies at the end. Oh you yeah, Alexander, who gets killed in the washing machine, and you got, of course, um, yeah, the uh, the and assistant, possibly, assistant. His, possibly and his probably friend. the girlfriend, which gets that up to four if we count that one. Yeah. All right, I'm in. So, in closing, I've actually seen five listed. Oh yeah, that's right. I saw some write-ups that said five, and I think they're counting the uh, body and the hallucination. But <laughs> yeah, that big slab of meat that she was just hacking. Yeah, right it doesn't really count. So no, I don't think do you so. like this movie. Yeah, I like it. I'm I'm going to oh, come I... right out and say that it's I find it very entertaining. Um, clearly, I enjoy looking at the the women that are in the film. I like all the sex in the film. Um, but I do like the color palette. I like um, just it has a certain character, um, and it's certainly not a typical giallo. It's it's definitely um, atypical. Um, but it it uh, I really like the story. I I thought that like I like I said before with strange um, strange color of your body's tears, which was a little bit harder to follow and a little bit more abstract. I think I like this one a little bit better only because. It wasn't too hard to follow. It was something that you know you could pretty much f figure out what was going on, and it was a little hokey and and whatnot. But it grew on me after the, fir I, the first time. I I liked it kind of, but I wasn't really sure. And the second time, I was like, yeah, this is this is cool. I like this. This is a good film. I like this movie, but I do not like that people have been comparing it to Strip Nude for Your Killer because it yeah. is not anything like that. No, I agree. Agree. Awesome. Meanwhile, it does remind me a little bit of Sister Ursula. It does a little bit. Um, and I liked it, uh, though I don't know that I necessarily liked it as a giallo as much as I liked it as a neo-noir film, because yeah. that was more the feeling I got out of it, which yeah. definitely fits with the original title, which was Vortich um, Mortali or something like that. Or Patrice Mortale, I mean, it's Italian. You pronounce it East the end. Uh, <laughs> and it seemed to be, which translates into deadly vortex or 
for us over here in the U.S., uh, Death Spiral, and it seemed to have much more of the noir focus on fate coming for Alexander after he starts to stray from the straight and narrow path that he had been on before. Yeah. Unlike Giallo, where the focus is more on the mystery itself, and you're trying to, re you have a killer who's the antagonistic force, not fate coming in. You are going, whatever you do, you're dead meat because you screwed up. Right. Um, Simon said, "What I learned from the washing machine: don't drink an iron." That is. <laughs> Or at least don't look like you're having that much fun while you're doing it. She right. was just having a little too much fun. Okay, so we have about a half hour left here, guys. And we still got to talk about my bloody Valentine. Here we do. Okay. So. Well, the, the one last thing that I'd like to say is that um, one of the things that we were thinking about for this lovely contest is oh, the nice. idea of. Um, the idea that there are, I think, you guys can disagree maybe, there are three distinct classical pieces that are played in this film. The first one occurs at the very beginning um, when we see, uh, uh, what's her name, um, Ludmilla practicing her drumming in, in, uh, amongst the orchestra. The second one occurs... Somewhere, um, what is it, near the the half-hour mark, guys, I think? Um, I think you said, yeah, somewhere around there, 28 minutes, 28, 30. And that's kind of the montage where we see uh, Ludmilla with the drinking and ironing at the same time and all that great stuff. Um, and then the third one is at the end, um, and that one um, starts out as an instrumental piece but then eventually um, gets... A little bit more interesting because there's this um, this weird um, male and female singing thing happening. Call um, and response. Call, little call thing. and response. Yep, exactly. So the question is, if any of our listeners are um, able to identify um, what those pieces are, um, the first one that can correctly identify these and prove it, because. Um, the disclaimer here is that I don't know what they all are. The first one I know, um, the very first one that shows up is, is a piece that's familiar to me. But the other two, um, I haven't been able to figure them out yet. There's no real information out there about it in, in um, on IMDb with regard to Claudio Simonetti's soundtrack. Um, and I tried shazamming these, and, and my shazam didn't care and didn't, didn't recognize anything. So... Um, <laughs> So we're gonna we're we're gonna need proof um, that these uh, what these two other two pieces are. But the first person that can can identify them and prove that they are what they are will get the first of our three Jalo playing card decks, which Boom. once again I am holding up here. So get to work on that, you guys. Um, I'm really excited only because I want to know what these are. Um, I thought I had an idea, but like I said, um, I won't give anything away. Good. So, moving on to My Bloody Valentine. This was added into the fold because um, someone dies in the laundromat. <laughs> yep, you get found in the dryer. Found and, by the way, 
if you guys have the uh, one of the if one of you when you're doing the post on this could put in the audio from the end, I think that the the ballad of Harry Warden is perfectly into this. <laughs> Once upon a time, on a sad valley, in a place known as Hanniger Mine, a legend began every woman and man would always remember the time. And those who remained were never the same. You could see the fear in their eyes. Once every year, as the 14th draws near, there's a hush all over the town For the legend they say on a Valentine's Day Is a curse that'll live on and on And no one will know as the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago So this is a slasher movie from 1981 um, Shot in Canada Um and it is one of the classics. It's one of my favorite years of film, and it's a poop load of fun. Um, does anyone want to talk about the story? Well, uh, Chris, you could take it if you want, or I can take it for you, because this is one I've seen plenty of times. Well, let me see what I can do, because... Um... Okay. This is not one of those films that I, you know, th this is a this is a perfect example of when a film just basically um, falls off the map, you know, fall, falls off your radar. Mm -hmm. um, because for me, um, that period of time for horror movies and slashers, uh, I paid very close attention to these films and. Um, I really loved all of them, and My Bloody Valentine never made its way into my repertoire. So um, this is the first time I've really watched it or paid any attention to it, and uh, so and it was it was weird for me watching it now because when I watch slashers, I watch them from the perspective of kind of nostalgia. I know what's going to happen. I've seen it a hundred thousand times, and yet at the same time, um, I get um, some entertainment out of it. But in the case of My Bloody Valentine, um, I did not know what to expect at all. There was some discussion when we did Happy Birthday to me that My Bloody Valentine had some some connections, um, although I don't remember what they are, to be honest. Well, I, I think they're... Well, they're both Canadian slashers, of course, um, and of the Scooby-Doo slasher variety. I Let's see here. I have the two... These both over here. Let me take a look because I think there were also some production eyes. Um, let's see. Nope, never mind that angle. Apparently, that is not correct. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, you know, the Canadian film industry isn't quite as incestuous as the Italian one, apparently. Um, but they were also one of them was Paramount and one was Columbia, so that probably has a factor in there. But uh, anyways, probably just the, mostly the fact that they're both Canadian slashers, then I would guess. But um, okay, 
and they were both the same general era, so they've got that part where they were coming out and cut from Friday the 13th. They were both but still trying to have some class. <laughs> yeah, I think they were. Yeah. So um, the film basically surrounds the events that transpire in this little town as they try to kind of resurrect the idea that wouldn't it be nice if we had a Valentine's Day dance uh, or a Valentine's Day party or a Valentine's Day celebration or whatever it is because I think the name of the town has to do with Valentine's Day. Valentine's, Valentine's Bluff. Bluff. Valentine's Bluff, right. They actually were the same producers according to the back of uh, Happy Birthday to Me. I just don't see them at the moment on the other list. So, there's that. So, um, the film starts out with this, I guess it's, uh, is it a flashback? Is it something that happened in the past? They really don't identify this. They basically start the film with these two people who sneak down into the coal mine and decide that they're going to have sex, but the man never takes off his helmet or his mask and ends up impaling the girl um, on his uh, pickaxe. And that starts the movie. But then we get to the point where... Um, we're in the present day, and we're two days before Valentine's Day, and people are getting ready for this party, and it's very reminiscent of most slashers. Um, but we basically um, we basically get to a situation where um, there's somebody who starts talking about, well, you know what happened before? Um, it's going to happen again, um, because I think one of the one of the police officer guys or one of the guys who's kind of in charge of the of the town he gets some sort of a valentine's day gift which has a heart in it and some sort of threatening letter like a bloody heart and so um the rest of the movie is basically surrounds the idea that um this um this legend of this guy who um, what was the deal? That these guys got trapped in the mine on Valentine's Day and nobody came to get them and they had to eat each okay. other? Like one guy had to like basically resort to cannibalism to stay alive and is that what it was? Yeah, um, I love the mythology of this movie. Um, what happens is like 15, 20 years before at the Valentine... Because the place is called Valentine's Bluff, because it's an old coal mining town... Any sort of an excuse to have a party is a good one, and the Valentine's Dance was their biggest one. So there was one shift on for Valentine's Day when the dance was going on. The supervisors took off to go to the party instead of hanging on to make sure that, you know, things didn't collapse and kill everybody. Well, of course, that's when things decide to collapse and kill everybody, except for this handful of people uh, one of whom, Harry Warden, and eating the others in order to stay alive before the group manages to dig up, dig him out. Right. Then the next year, with the Valentine's Dance, Harry decides to leave his nice little padded room at the asylum, come on down, and slaughter everybody he can, including the three supervisors. And ever since then, they've kind of thought, you know, let's just leave Harry in his padded room and not hold any more Valentine's dances. 
<laughs> until this year when they decided, you know what, Harry's been up there, he's been quiet, and damn it, we were kids back then. We want to friggin' dance here. We want to have some fun. <laughs> yep. We could have it for President's Day, but we're in Canada. We don't have that. We're having Valentine's Day, damn it. Yeah, and so, I mean, there's this kind of subplot with the... Uh... The guy who kind of left for California and then came yeah. back again, and and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and and his girlfriend is now seeing somebody new, and so there's all of that going on. Um, That's the main the main the B plot is yeah Axel T J and the girl. Okay. And so, I mean, refresh my memory. People just start getting killed, like a normal slasher. Eventually, yeah, like the like people start getting killed. There's little um, threats that are going around, so they decide they're not going to have the mayor cancels the dance, and then all the coal miners are like, "Fuck this! We're going to go have a fucking party at the mine because that's what you do when you're canceled." And so, well, because TJ's dad owns the mine or something like that, so he has the keys. Mm-hmm. Correct. And so, besides, it's Valentine's Day, they're probably all going to end up drunk in a dark place, on lying on the cold floor anyways, it might as well be on. <laughs> Hell yeah. So, then as you would assume, um, systematically one by one, they all get killed in very ingenious and creative ways, like including the installation. <laughs> yeah, including uh, the installation of the best shower head ever. Yeah. Oh, so good. <laughs> but, the funny uh, thing is, I was watching yeah. this on my, on my DVD, and it had the extended cut, and it had all the scenes. Yeah. And see, the thing that trips me out is that I look at the restored version, like while it's going and everything, mm-hmm. and then when it cuts to the old scenes, the like the old look, the grain and everything, I almost like that better. Yeah, but it's just like, here. I, I just I don't know, man. It's such a toss-up because I mean, this version of the movie looks really fucking good. They did a really good job making this look mm-hmm. great. Um. So that's one little thing for me. But the other thing about this movie that I really like is that the characters in it are so, like, real. Like, it's such a real Mm -hmm. situation. It's such a real, like, group of people that grew up together and getting into arguments over girls. And just, like, everyone in the movie is so perfect. It's not like when you have your normal slasher movies where you're like, oh, this is the nerd, this is the geek, this is the hot cheerleader, this is the so-and-so, and and they're all friends for no fucking reason at all. Yeah. Totally, totally, totally works. And there's one about this movie, it's that guy's fucking handkerchief tied around his neck at the dance. That is the (laughs) most important thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, you know, they're coal miners. They're not quite as fashionable as our Italian divas. He he moved out west, man. He should know better. So, yeah, right. Exactly. Well, on the other hand, they sent him back. Yeah, that's probably why. They're like, dude, you can't be dressing like that. And he's like, what? <laughs> yeah. So, I'm the um, most fashionable guy back home. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then if we're going to get to the spoilers here, um, well, let's before we do that, let's talk about the killer because yes, the killer is mm-hmm. wearing black gloves, and he's also wearing a fucking scary ass miner mask, and you can hear him breathe yeah, the whole fucking time. Yep, it's just like, uh, I think it's one of the greatest looking killers ever. Yeah, and yeah, he's very menacing. God damn! I wish they'd ended up making this into a fran- more of a franchise because you know they set it up for sequels at the end. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but uh, in the fucking, wanna... they did the same mm-hmm. fucking thing in the remake. They set yeah. it up for sequels, and that never fucking happened. Well, the remake had its own issues, but. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... But uh, the <clears throat> do we want to get into who the, the really through this? There are three options for who the killer is that are kind of presented. It could be Harry Warden escaped from the asylum and he's down here and he's killing folks again. We end up finding out that that would be a remarkable feat because Harry Warden died not that long ago. Although this. Being a slasher movie, it's not beyond the pale. I mean, Jason Voorhees and Freddy. Yeah. But the other options are it could be TJ or it could be Axel in some sort of a warped, twisted plot to try and put an end to the dance and win the girl and have an excuse to kill off their rival in the course of what looks like a murderous spree by Harry Warden. Mm. Um, which, of course, is a plot that we've seen how many times by now in Jolly? <laughs> yeah, for real. And it do we go full spoiler here? or Yeah, let's yeah. go full spoiler. Go here. Okay, going full spoiler, it turns out that it's TJ who is not only the girl, or not TJ, I'm sorry, it was TJ in the remake, it's Axel, plus, of course, TJ and Axel. So <laughs> <laughs> okay. The remake spoils itself. <laughs> Anyways, uh, it was Axel, who we find out is not only the guy who's being cuckolded by his girl for... TJ, but he is also the son of one of the survivors or one of the supervisors who was slaughtered by Harry Warden and we actually get a flashback scene where he's hiding under the bed Harry Warden busts into the room in his full getup and takes a pickaxe to daddy (laughs) and this happens after a rock, after a cave-in traps his arm under it while he's trying to kill TJ and the girl, and he ends up hacking his arm off to escape and goes running off into the darkness, chanting, and I've never been able to figure out the chant until this last time I was watching it. Because what he's chanting is something like, Daddy's gone away, Harry Warden made him pay, and something off into mad laughter. And what I finally realized is that all the people he's... I mean, he killed the adults to try and stop the dance. 
I mean, he kills the first woman who probably a hooker. It's a coal mining town. And in order to get the heart to try and stop the dance, he kills one of the people trying to get the dance going. He's basically doing all of this stuff to try and stop this dance that is traumatizing him. And when everybody says, we're going to have a party anyways, he finally decides, okay, fuck it, I'm going to kill all of you because... And here's what I finally figured out. I think that when he was a kid, after his dad got killed, he was probably tortured for years by all of them taunting him about the fact that he was related to one of the guys who let a lot of people lose their parents at that time in the small town. Hmm. And it's because it's, why would everybody be joking about Harry Warden if they know that this guy's dad was killed by him? But then you think about it, and you but you when you think about it, you realize that except his dad probably killed some of their parents when he took off and the mine collapse happened and nobody could get down there in time to rescue people. And they've been doing they've been making jokes about Harry Warden around him for years, apparently, because he's got this child sing-songy nursery rhyme that he probably was hearing for God knows how long after his dad got killed because they just wanted to be little shits and uh, thought that his family did it because of what they'd done. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff, dude. Like I, I love, I, read I love the reveal because the whole time mm. you're thinking it's TJ. Like for the oh, most, yeah. like you're like, oh yeah, that's got to be TJ. It's got to be TJ. And um, so when well, the reveal happens, they kill it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's really, it's a fun movie. The deaths are great. Inside the tunnels is amazing. It's just, um, it's a really fun... Did you do a score on this one, Chris? Yeah, I did. Um, it didn't get very much. Um, well, I actually have see. a question for you on that, but we'll get to that. Um, it got a 40. Well, I might be able to get a 41 for it. Because here's the question. Does a spiral mine track count as a spiral staircase? Uh, sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know. What the hell? Get him one again. Give him one more point. What the fuck, you know? <laughs> but there was a J&B bottle in the in the movie. Yeah, that the bar shot helped because there was a lot of moose head, but they fit a J&B bottle in there too. Yep. Ah, <sighs> it's a good one, man. And there was a lot of fucking old electromagnetic pinball machines in there that were just like super mm-hmm. old. Even then, like, I mean, I'm sure that was only, like, maybe 10 years old by that time. But, you know... Yeah, I but mean, how many people were saving them? <laughs> we, 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 kind of, um, we kind of talk about these slasher films on this particular podcast because of how they resemble or how they may have been influenced by Jalo. And, you know, there was definitely some stuff here um, that has some Jalo influence, but the majority of that was because, in general, 
Um, we had somebody who remained unidentified until the very end, who was killing people, who wore black gloves, um, whose motivation was revenge. Um, but the rest of this, and there, were, there, there, there wasn't a lot more. We had some, we had a bunch of suspects. We had a flashback at one point. We had a high body count. Um, like I said, there's a J and B bottle in the in in there. I don't know if that was just a coincidence or what, but um, I mean, in general, I didn't I didn't really find it very similar to the feel that I get when I watch a Jalo because I guess you know it was Americanized or Canadianized at least, and it had uh, a lot of. Uh, it's super slasher. Yeah, it had a lot of a yeah. slasher aspects to it that you know basically well, retracted from the Jalo thing. So it's definitely a rural setting too, because I mean it might not be the middle of the sticks like uh, "Don't Torture a Duckling," but it's definitely a podunk mining village sort of thing. Right. You could move that down the coast and set it down somewhere in Appalachia if you wanted to take away the ocean, but <laughs> that same sort of thing where it's like, who knows where it is, but it's, uh, because it, it, if nobody where it is, it's only the truckers have maps that mark it. <laughs> true. Very true. Yeah, throwing an Edwidge in there would have been pretty nice. <laughs> But there's nobody in here of Edwidge class, but at the same time, that does. It, the funny thing is, is that the main military, girl, really. the, the main girl is the only person in the whole movie that to me looks like she doesn't belong in that town. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody else looks like they belong, but yeah. She looks like she's the one who uh, probably wanted to get out of town along with TJ, but didn't. And probably wouldn't have come back if she had. Yeah. So right on. I love that movie. I think that movie is amazing. So I mean, oh, it's yeah. super jolly or a jalo flick, but it is fucking a really, really good movie. And if you haven't seen it yet, definitely look at it now that we've ruined it for you. Yeah, I mean, I really need to. I really need to watch it uh, again and give it uh, the full attention that it deserves, um, because I, um, I, I, in in thinking back, um, there was definitely some things about it that uh, I found inspirational and and um, things that made me want to watch it and and pay more attention to it. But it just, it was one of those films, like I said in the beginning, um, where you know if you don't have the nostalgia. To bring to it from the beginning, of uh, you know, well, you know, like if we're talking about, let's say, Friday the Thirteenth Part One, um, or even Happy Birthday to Me, which I've seen, you know, eight thousand times. I typically just um, I have a place in my in my heart for these films simply because I grew up watching them, and this one I didn't. So I need to find a way to uh, to give it that opportunity again because I think it was, from what I remember watching, I think it was really good. Well, if you do watch it, try to find the uh, extended version with the added cut scenes. Definitely. Yeah, I, th I think that's the one I have. It's from it's like a Blu-ray of some sort. Okay, then it's probably the extended cut. Yeah, uh, actually what you mentioned with the grain on the 
scenes that they added back in, which actually include the scene that got it in, into this uh, show with the dryer. Uh, <laughs> um, it's when you listen to the commentary track on that, the director talks about how the theatrical version was cut all to hell, and it shows when you watch the theatrical cut too. But and they didn't think there are. They can't do a director's cut because they're lucky they were even able to find the surviving footage they did. The real director's cut a lot has other scenes that, as far as they know, don't exist. They were used for a doorstop or something somewhere. <laughs> wow. It wasn't that they didn't try to restore them. It's just that they couldn't do much more with them than they did, apparently. Yeah. Because basically Paramount took that extra film and just tossed it somewhere. Wasn't it a thing, too, like in Canada during that time, um, if you showed excessive violence, it would fall under like a pornography act and you could go to jail and shit like that? I think that was more written, but at that point I'm not sure how the interplay was with the legal systems between Britain and um, Canada. So they may have been under video nasty effects too. I don't know. Hmm. I think it was more that uh, it was pro it went to the MPAA after Friday the Thirteenth did is probably what got it. Yeah. Well, right on. Do do you have any idea, Chris, of what we're doing next? No. I don't. We haven't really discussed it. Um, let me look up. I have um. Maybe we can poll the group. All right. Um, I've got a lot of stuff on my list. So, for example, um, you know, we just really did kind of a sexy, sleazy episode with Washing Machine. Um, so you know, maybe we want to move to something different. You know, there's um, some of the Neo Jolly that we haven't looked at. Um, there's Ooh, been a lot. Of, there's a lot of yeah. There's a lot of talk about Francesca, Francesca or Francesca, um, and Sono Profondo. Maybe that would be a good double feature. Um, I don't know that I want to do Francesca until. Well, I don't know. I I don't think there's an English uh, soundtrack version of that. I think there's just subtitles. So. There is uh, English. Uh, hang on, let me see if I can find that. I think there actually is an English track as well as the subtitles. I know the subtitles are on it because okay. I was able to watch it. Um, yeah, actually, I think you're right. I think that's in German and Italian with English subs at this point. But uh, they keep they keep uh, saying that they're working on the English release. So here's hoping that's out soon. Yeah, because <laughs> that sounds like it's going to be killer. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about that. I mean, the, some of the guys in our group are talking about how great it is. So, I mean, we need to give it some attention. Um, there's some Fulci stuff that we haven't looked at yet. Uh, the Psychic and Murder Rock. Um, there's some Barbara Boucher that we haven't looked at yet, like Amok and French Sex Murders. Um, we could do a Redemption episode again. Um, for me, it would be Eyeball, so I'm thinking we should wait until I get to see it on the big screen. Uh, in the summer. Um, so I'll throw a few up there. I mean, we're still going to do double features creep as far as, as, far as yeah. you want to. 
Uh, yeah. Cover cover two films, and we'll we'll uh, we'll pull the audience and see where they want to go. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jason, for hanging out with us and coming up with this awesome show idea. Yeah, man. And thank you for having me twice. Very, very <laughs> cool. Very cool. I liked it. And I and I, it's so funny because I was thinking back to I think my very first appearance on this podcast. We talked about. Lots of different things, but one of the things we talked about were obscure film titles, and I mentioned The Washing Machine on that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I remember Eric and Creep just laughing hysterically, like, who the fuck would name a film The Washing Machine? And now, uh, well, two years, time, pretty I much two years later, we've cut I thought The out. Washing Machine was going to walk around with black gloves on and stab people. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that was the mangler. Yeah. There was really no, there was really no telling what that movie was going to be about. I thought it was going to be, you know, somebody um, is, you know, typical Jalo. It goes goes out, and there's going to be some some murders and people show up in washing machines. But I mean, clearly there was um, a lot more to it than that. So very cool stuff. Well, awesome, everybody. So um, we'll put that poll up in the group, and until next time, ciao, ciao, everybody. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. Yay.